You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. On this episode, we're going to be talking about five ways to create a culture of health and success. Why does this matter? Well, a massive meta-analysis that was just published in 2019 in The Lancet titled Health Effects of Dietary Risk in 195 Countries examined the links between poor diet and the skyrocketing rates of chronic disease in our world today. The scientists determined that poor diet kills 11 million people around the world every year. The researchers stated, quote, our findings show that Suboptimal diet is responsible for more deaths than any other risk globally, highlighting the urgent need for improving human diet across nations, unquote. What we're experiencing is a culture of sickness. About 11 million individuals, 11 million souls are lost, according to this massive meta-analysis, every single year due to our diet, due to the foods that we're eating. It is within this cultural construct that we can even see symptoms like this. It is a culture that is determining our beliefs, that is determining our actions, and thus our results. So at its core, what we're striving to do right now is to take control of our own personal culture, as well as starting to extend that to our family culture, and then moving to levels beyond that. And we're going to talk about all of those pieces today, how to actually go about doing it. Because the beautiful thing about a time like this, when things are so crazy and so turbulent, when things are shaky, they're much easier to change. Because the truth is, when things are solid and just going along as business as usual, as they have been, it can be much easier to get leverage on, to make a change within them. But with that turbulence, turbulence usually comes when we are starting to lift off and we're starting to get off the ground and take flight. And so we can look at it from that lens, from that perspective, that we've allowed these things to go on unchecked for so long, so much unnecessary suffering, so much lack of tapping into our real potential with these infinite beings we are as human beings. And we're still caught up in so many primitive things where we are fighting amongst each other, where we are allowing ourselves to lose our lives from largely preventable things. When we could be striving towards continuing to increase our lifespan, but not just our lifespan, but our health span. Because with our innovations in medicine and technology, we've seen this also a steady increase in our life expectancy until recently. We are now the first generation in recorded human history that is not going to outlive our predecessors. And that's not okay, especially with what looks like on the surface, we continue to advance as a species. But what's really been happening Beneath the surface, if we actually take a good look at it, we haven't necessarily been extending our lifespan in recent decades. Centuries pass absolutely in recent decades. We haven't necessarily been living longer. We've been dying longer. We found a way to keep folks alive, just keep them with a pulse, just keep them ticking long enough to look good on paper. But our quality of life has been suffering as our multi-pronged epidemics of chronic diseases have been skyrocketing. In the United States alone, we have almost 250 million of our citizens are overweight or obese right now. We're getting close. We're knocking on the door of half of our population being clinically obese. We're right around 40, 42% right now. 
were knocking on the door. But I promise you that what's at the door, just like the, you know, whoever's dropping off the package is going to be treated differently. It could be a different experience when we open the door and what we're allowing into our lives. And it really boils down to the culture that we create. And so I'm really, really excited about this episode because we're going to talk about some real, practical, tangible things that we can do to usher in change, to take this upon ourselves as individuals, as families, as communities, to create real sustainable change and real health. Now, it starts with, first and foremost, understanding why do we need to target? Why do we need to target culture? What is culture? Well, culture is an individual set of attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors, as well as those shared by a group of people, communicated from one generation to the next. We are literally born into cultures that we are largely unaware of. We're existing within a container of beliefs, of attitudes, of values, of behaviors that create our results that we see in our lives. A culture is sort of like a container that you exist within, just like a shoe is a container that your foot exists within. And it is going to determine the movement of the parts of your foot within that shoe. So if you've got a shoe that creates like some hammer time, you know, you get some bunions going on, create a little trauma within the foot, or you've got shoes that create flexibility and movement, full movement of the foot, or some can stifle. We can spread this analogy out multiple ways. But the bottom line is, is that culture is like a container that we are existing within. And there is a personal culture that you adhere to. There are also larger cultural containers that we live within. So for example, you have your own personal culture, things that you have kind of grabbed onto or developed. Our lives tend to be sort of like a patchwork quilt of our experiences, of our values, of our hurts, of our joys. All of this creates our very unique quilt that is you, this patchwork quilt. And our culture, our personal culture is going to be based on all of these pieces. So we have a personal culture in how we want to believe about the beliefs we carry about ourselves, about other people, about the world around us, about how things work, about how physics work, about how food works, the list goes on and on. So our set of beliefs, our attitudes about things, our, our values, and of course, our behaviors have an individual dynamic to them. But then we also have the larger containers. And we start to spread out. So it's like a reverse Russian doll. All right. So the next level out is going to be our family culture. And so this is something that I think we can also have a much closer, tangible understanding is about the family culture, because truly that's where we tend to spend most of our time, especially as we're growing up, is within that container of a family unit and the culture that's created within our household. It's going to determine largely, again, the beliefs that we take on, our dietary preferences and behaviors, our associations with technology, our association with education, with each other, how we communicate. These things are heavily influenced by our family culture. And then spreading it out from there, another dynamic culture we might experience, especially as adults, is the work culture. And the work culture is going to be different than the family culture. The work culture is going to decide and govern 
the way that we operate, the things that we do, that we express, is not going to be the same necessarily. We're going to have things that carry over, that cross over to multiple cultures because we have our own personal culture. But also, for example, in the family culture, you might, you guys might tickle each other, but you're not going to get to to work and like go and tickle your boss. Hey, you're going to googly goo. You're not going to do that. You're going to be a little bit more hesitant, you know? So these are, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you do have a tickle culture at your job. Not to say that's not a thing, it's not possible, but in general, we're going to have a different cultural dynamic within our work culture. Also, there's going to be spiritual cultures, uh, religious constructs, religious cultures as well that guide the, the beliefs of folks, their actions, their values. And then we take these things on and they become a part of our personal culture. So no matter where you are, you are still a part of your religion. You can be put smack in the middle of a temple of a different religion or a city that has a different religious tenet, and you can still carry your religious culture with you, your set of values, beliefs, and behaviors, all right? So again, we carry our personal culture with us, and then we venture in and intermingle with other cultures. So we have those as a guiding force for many people as well. Then from there, if we even talk about structures as far as like, let's get more tangible in community, we can have a neighborhood culture, right? So, you know, I grew up where there's certain sets, like one neighborhood dresses, wears certain colors and another neighborhood wears different colors. One neighborhood has a certain, you know, uh, cultural vibe to it. You know, I live in Los Angeles now. It's very different depending on which neighborhood you're going to as far as the cultures, as far as like literally how people dress and attitudes can be different different approaches to things. You know, some places can be more laid back. Some places can be a little bit more on the edge. You can see the anxiety or feel it in the air when you pull up, you know? And so again, this is going to be dependent upon what neighborhood you live in. It's going to be a different culture. From there, we can look at even cities, for example, having a certain culture. I like the example of Motor City, right? Detroit. Shout out to everybody listening in Michigan and in Detroit, known as Motor City. This is very blue collar in past decades where, you know, this is kind of a hub uh, mentality that we're here, we, we're smart, we're hard workers, and we put in work. You know, we're, we're tough, we're, we're resilient. This is Motor City, you know, and so that culture exists within that city that might not translate over into Lansing, for example. You know, and again, shout out to all my family in Michigan. But this is hopefully sparking the understanding of how powerful culture can be in our behaviors, in our beliefs about ourselves, about the world around us, the actions that we take, and the like. We can also expand this out now to the state culture. Right now, we see this probably more than ever in recent history, where certain states have a culture. This is the way we do things. This is how we mandate in another state. This is like, this is how we don't mandate, you know? And so there's this intermingling here and a certain culture within an entire state here in the United States, for example. And then that can go out to various countries as well. We have a certain culture as a country, as a society within a country that would differ from other countries. And this is beautiful. This is a beautiful aspect of humanity is that we have so much diversity 
so much variety. And the beauty is when we appreciate other cultures, learn from other cultures, and know that we're able to add to each other and not take away and to complement rather than compete. And we can compete, you know, we could definitely compete, but it's for humanity, competing for the ultimate goal of all of us getting better. You know, so there's a translation here with cultures, and I want to give you just a, a brief understanding, a, a start to tickle your fancy since we're talking about tickling earlier, just pop right up. And uh, tickle your fancy in understanding the global implications of how our culture creates our personality, our values, our actions, etc. Now, how does culture control our outcomes? Well, as mentioned earlier, we are literally born into cultures. We unknowingly pick up the beliefs and values and behaviors from the world around us. We don't know any different. We don't know that there's another way until we start to get exposures to other things, until we're able to gain a sense of sovereignty and we start to be able to question things. And so the culture that we exist in is often unconsciously controlling the way that we think, the food that we eat, and how we move. For example, our culture may have required movement in order to gather food to eat. And if we did not proactively physically go and move to hunt, to gather our food, doing what it took to procure our food physically, then we would literally die. So our culture, at one point we evolved, required us to move in order to eat. Now contrast that with the culture that we have today where you literally don't even have to get off the couch. You could, you know, hit a couple buttons on your phone and food can be handed right to you. You know, you can leave a door open or whatever and they can bring it handed right to you, you know, without any effort on your part except sitting comfortably and, and pushing a couple of buttons on your phone. It is amazing. It's amazing that that's a thing. But what starts to happen is that it starts to chip away at any requirements for movement. In fact, our society has made it very easy to not move because another container that we exist within is that chair or is that couch. It is literally a container that holds your body and it shapes your body. Much like in nature, a tree is being shaped by the movement and patterns of the weather, of the wind, it's literally creating the, the, the outpicturing, the structure, the integrity of the tree itself and how it forms. We are very much like trees that are walking around. I am Groot. All right? We're just walking around, and, but being molded by our environment, whether we realize it or not. At all times, this is happening. So we can become very well-equipped at chair sitting. Our bodies can be formed in such a way that we become very sufficient and proficient at sitting, but that would likely not translate to being able to sprint very fast or to have flexibility or to have resistance against certain type of injuries from certain types of movements if we become very conditioned to the container of the chair, for example. Not that the chair is bad, it just is, and it's going to influence the culture, the, the cultural outpicturing of our bodies, form and function. 
Now, as mentioned, we now live in a culture that makes it remarkably easy to not move. Today, we have vehicles for transportation. We have jobs that allow us to sit all day without any manual labor on our part. Someone else gathers all of the materials and ingredients and makes our clothes for us, makes our food, makes the transportation that we use, and makes the shelter that we live in. No requirement of energy on our parts. And again, this is a beautiful thing in some aspects, but the culture that has now resulted is one that makes not moving incredibly easy. So these are some good examples as we move into how do we shift and improve and create a culture that is conducive to health and success? How do we create a culture that makes health automatic? How do we create a culture that makes success automatic? Because as I mentioned as well, you carry your culture with you no matter where you go. And that's the power that we all have because our personal culture, we can then go into other cultures and be a source of inspiration, a source of positive influence wherever we go. If we are firmly rooted in a healthful, health affirmative, altruistic culture ourselves. Now, the first of these five ways to create a new culture of health and success. Number one is clarity. You cannot effectively arrive at a destination if you do not know what that destination is. We have to gain clarity on what the picture of that healthy culture actually looks like. We have to detail it. We have to begin to articulate it to create a clear vision on what we want it to be. It's sort of like a GPS coordinate. If you're not putting in that end destination, oh, where are you going? You're just driving around in circles, hoping you eventually land at somewhere that might be sort of okay, sort of cool. Or you could end up, you know, pulling up on Elm Street on accident, you know? And there's a guy with a striped sweater and some really sharp fingernail things, right? You got to be careful where you're winding up. How do you avoid ending up on Elm Street? and end up in a, in a culture of health and success, you get very clear on what it looks like. Again, I want to reiterate this point. We, whether we like it or not, whether we are aware of it or not, we are born into a culture that determines our values, our beliefs, and our behaviors. And I know this firsthand about creating a real culture of health and success. I was born into a culture that was conducive to sickness, to abuse, to dysfunction. My mother got pregnant with me when she was 17 years old. So already statistically, it's not looking good for me right out of the gate. And add to that, I've never met my biological father. I have my birth certificate right now at my house. You can see my mother's name there. She had me. She got pregnant when she was 17. She had me at 18. And the father portion is blank. He didn't want me. So I'm born into, into these conditions with dysfunction in my family structure. And this could be writing the story for me already. Now, what's really interesting about my story is that in this tapestry that creates all of our individual, you know, this patchwork quilt that we all have, is that when I was very young, so somewhere around three months old, six months old, nine months old. Prior to me being one, my mother met my stepfather. 
And so he was a fatherly influence that I had. And I did not know that he wasn't my biological father until I was somewhere around nine years old. I just thought, thought it was my dad, you know, my biological father, but he really was my father figure. You know, he stepped into that position. But being in this dysfunctional environment, we were also, I mean, everybody in this scenario is young, you know, as babies having babies and not having structure and routine and any kind of thrust towards health. It's more so about survival. We're living in an environment where we could, the, the probability of losing our life is much higher when we step out of our door versus a quote, good neighborhood. And so being able to, to find a way to survive and for, for my mother, that's what she wanted to instill in me to make me a strong man, to make me somebody who is resilient against all of these uh, very dangerous influences that were in the environment, including within our own household, because my stepfather was very, very, he was such, man, of all the people that I know is probably one of the most beautiful, just joyful human beings I've ever met when he was free of the addiction, you know, whenever it didn't have his gri- its grips onto him of alcohol and his two older brothers, you know, one of his brothers passed away. Well, actually, first of all, he experienced many years of uh, paralysis and basically crippled because of neurological damage from crack cocaine. And his other brother, you know, just again, same thing, crack, cocaine, just really destroyed his older brother's lives. And he is in the same environment, the same family unit, as beautiful a spirit as he might be, kind of the lovable one of the family. His tendency, because he's within that culture, is to fall victim to that as well, is to partake in that as well. And so right now, my stepfather is in an adult daycare living facility because he can't take care of himself because of the damage that crack has done to his brain. So this is the culture that I come from. I'm growing up in these environments where this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing drug abuse. I'm seeing alcohol abuse. I'm seeing physical abuse. I'm seeing the fighting. I'm seeing the violence within my community. What do you think is going to happen to me? What are my odds? As good of a person as I might want to be, because here's the thing that most people don't know when they hear these stories. I already colored this in here of how beautiful a person can be of how beautiful the environment can be. There's also so much beauty there because humans are beautiful. We can do some ugly things, but we are truly beautiful. But it's being able to develop that clarity as I exist within that culture to still see the beauty that's available. That is one of the things that we can exercise and work. But how that really becomes more of an option is when we have perspective, is when we have contrast. Because within my story, so that, that seems like a very dark environment to be in. There was also this environment that seems incredibly light and safe and routine and structure and love. This was with my grandmother. My grandmother lived in a nice neighborhood. I lived with my grandma for my kindergarten, first grade, and second grade years. And it was the most magical time of my life. To this day, I feel the feelings. Ah, I feel her touch. That love is just so palpable. You know, I can feel it. And, 
You know, she made a big deal out of everything. You know, it was magical experiences. These, you know, Christmas was just this big event. You know, my birthday was this big event. She made a really big deal out of me. So I gained a feeling of value, of importance, you know, of significance. And this is a deep human need. We all need to feel significant. So I felt seen. Whereas in the other environment, um, you know, again, where there's a lot of problems, a lot of things going on, you might not get the attention necessary to really cultivate a positive sense of self-awareness and confidence and just to feel like you matter. So she helped me to feel like I matter. Now, it's within this environment also that I pick up my very detrimental eating habits, you know, uh, where, you know, it's the, the age of processed foods here in the, the mid 80s, you know, the mid to late 80s. And, you know, my grandmother just wants to, the kid to eat, you know, and we just believe that food was food. If you can eat it, you know, it's food. And so, you know, fast food is just dominating. We had this great McDonald's down the street and I call it great because they had a great little playground there. And I even had my birthday party at McDonald's. I'll never forget it. It was amazing, you know? But then when you think about how creepy that is, you know, just the whole concept of McDonald's, the clown is the mascot? Just be honest, honestly. Everybody listening, how many people truly are gonna feel like, you know, clowns are amazing, right? No disrespect to clowns. If you're in the clown industry, no, I'm respectfully is creepy, all right? So we're probably, I'm just gonna throw this out there, probably say maybe 1% of folks like think clowns are awesome, all right? But clowns keep surviving, all right? So shout out to clowns for just like, even though people are not feeling them, they keep it, they keep moving, they keep going forward. But anyway, so we got a clown mascot. We've got a convicted criminal who's another mascot. We've got a Hamburglar, all right? He's done time, he's got the outfit on, he's got a mask on, all right? We've got Grimace, perp the purple, morbidly obese purple character and his name is grimace it literally signifies pain all right we got the, the 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 guy with the big i think it was like sheriff big mac or officer mac or something like that he's got this massive hamburger head i mean just come on like how is this even remotely attractive for a kid you know it's so weird but anyway so I, I'm, I'm living in this culture where you know, I've got these positive influences, safety, certainty, but then, you know, I'm picking up these things that would prove to be the most detrimental thing in my life because it's what destroyed my health and almost destroyed my life. You know, if you know my story, then you know that at the age of 20, I was diagnosed with a severely arthritic condition of my spine. And that doesn't happen in that moment. It's not when I'm 20 that the arthritis is like, well, you got arthritis. It must have happened yesterday. That's Years in the making. That's potentially a decade plus at least in the making. It's literally because I'm, I was making my body out of fake materials. I wasn't giving my body the raw materials that it needed to even regenerate my, my tissues as a kid. You know, so I was inside of this accelerated aging process. And so that was my ultimate downfall. So this beautiful environment proved to be my ultimate downfall because I survived in the violent environment. In the drug-immersed environment, I was able to find my way through that. But here's the key. It's because of the perspective. I had contrast. 
Many people do not have that contrast. They don't know that that's what they're experiencing, that there's another way, that this doesn't have to be your story, that you don't have to fall lockstep with those who've come before you if it is damaging you, if it's detrimental to your health, to your success. I was also the first in my family to go to college, to graduate with a advanced degree. You know, it's all of these things I didn't have in my environment. It took a minor miracle for these things to be achieved. And I faced so much adversity along the way because I didn't have a template. I didn't know the directions, right? But fortunately, and this is the key, going back to one of our principles of clarity, I knew what the end result was. I knew I was going to get this bachelor's degree. I knew it. No matter what, it's already done. That's, that's a part of my story. And so no matter where the map was taking me, the ways taking me around, you know, it's an accident over here. It's a pile up over there. It's a, you know, some construction over here. I found a way to the goal. So clarity is the key here. And I'm sharing my life with you. I'm sharing my story with you because a very powerful tool for clarity is being very clear on what you don't want. All right. That can be one of the greatest affirmative things for us to, to really get clear on what we do want. So I knew in that environment, and I'm seeing my family members intoxicated and fighting, I knew that I did not want to be that. I knew that I didn't want to hurt the woman that I love. I knew that I wanted to be there for my children, despite me never even meeting my biological father. He didn't want me. I knew that I, I wanted my children and I wanted to be a good example for them. So I had a contrast of exactly what I didn't want. So it made me even more adamant and clear on what I did want. Now, putting the sole focus on what you do not want can eventually be crippling because that's where the focus is going. Still, you know, with the GPS, it's still like, you know what? I, I'm very familiar with this place. So I'm, this is where I'm going to go. Instead of being like, I see this place on the map. I don't want to go there. Those signals can get crossed up. So we can start to become what we reject. We can start to become what we detest. And even though we don't want to be like our mother, we might end up being just like our mother. Or, or even though we don't want to be like this other person who we've been exposed to, we end up picking up those character traits. And I can tell you this firsthand, I did not want to fight. I didn't want to fight, but I was put in that environment. I was put in those conditions. I was four years old. I was a baby. And being that my mom wants me to be a tough human being who could withstand the violence in the environment, I kept getting into this little spat with the kid next door. Uh, my friend Alfonso, we, we were friends, but he, you know, he was a bit older. He was like six years old. And because we kept getting into these scuffles, our parents decided to make us fight each other. To have these two little kids, like a, 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 a dog fight, fight each other. You know, we were sitting, they were sitting on the sides of this four family flat on the stoop outside. And these two kids, and they just pushed us, pushed me to get going. I remember very deeply, I still remember this feeling. I felt like, why are you making me do this? 
I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Why are you making me do this? This doesn't feel good. Like I felt like I was so alone in that moment. And within a few seconds of that beginning, within a few seconds of us commencing this, this fight, this, this, this battle of two small children, Alfonso pushed me into the corner of a brick wall that lined the stoop outside. And I still have this big scar on the back of my head to this day and just cracked my, my head right, right open. And I was rushed in to uh, get stitches and there's blood everywhere and I'm on the gurney and they're holding me down and I'm so upset. But I wasn't even as upset that there was blood everywhere. Like I kind of, you know, in a state of shock, you don't really necessarily even feel it. I was upset that I, I, I felt like I might have let my mother down by not winning the fight. And so from that moment, I decided I would never lose another fight in my life. And because of the environment, I became that person. And so when a minor threat would take place, I immediately pulled out the card to violence and I'm fighting. I'm, any, any type of threat, I'm throwing hands. And so that led me into a place where I kept getting kicked out of school. I kept getting into you know, issues in, in the neighborhood. But, and I developed this personality that would use violence as a solution rather than rationality, logic, because eventually, of course, somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's going to end up in a compromising situation where they end up behind bars or the like. And so even though I didn't want to be that person, I became that person. But it's all about awareness of the culture. And when I became aware that even though I was still existing in a familiar culture, when I made this decision to see peace, to see the opportunity for kindness, to see logic and patience and all these other things, I decided, because as, as I was working on myself to get healthier, physically healthier through changing my nutrition and through changing my exposures, my exercise practices, improving my sleep, all these things, it became easier to practice patience to be able to perspective take, to zoom out and to see the bigger picture and that this isolated event, event is not that serious, which it often is not. And so I'm saying this from a place of ex deep experience. I've had the great opportunity, of course, to work with thousands of people in my clinical practice and then, of course, impact the lives of millions of folks at this point. So I'm saying this from a deep place of, of, of love, of empowerment, and of deep experiential knowing that Regardless of the culture that we exist in, we can cultivate our own personal culture and maneuver within any and every environment and still find success, still find health. But it first and foremost starts with clarity. Being very clear, you can use contrast, being very clear on what you don't want and using that as contrast, but you have to start to focus on what you do want. What does the opposite look like? So instead of seeing a place that was conducive to poor health, to obesity, we'll say 80% of, of my family members being obese. Instead of seeing that and saying, I don't want that, I see, I choose health. I choose movement and health and happiness. I choose good mental health. I choose good emotional health. So don't just focus on the negative. Get clarity on what is the opposite thing looks like. But please use that as leverage. Depending on where you are right now, you might use that as like, you know, I'm, I'm very clear on what I don't want. 
if that's all you focus on, chances are you're still going to have that hovering around in your life. You got to eventually cut the cord on that and focus on what you do want with intense focus. And again, clarity is key. Clarity truly is power. And this is not just on a superficial thing. We're talking about neuroscience and we're also talking about quantum physics, right? Which is really the umbrella in which all other sciences fit under. But with neuroscience, we know that the human brain, we have the reticular activating system, the reticular cortex. There are different parts of our brain that are really like a heat seeking missile or like a servo mechanism, like that internal GPS. And what you focus on, your brain is constantly, whether you are aware of it or not, scanning your environment to find the thing that you hold top of mind. All right? This happens all the time. Again, you might get a new car and then you start to see that car everywhere, right? Or maybe there's a car that you like and you just start seeing it everywhere when before you probably didn't, you didn't know anything about it or whatever, you weren't paying attention. Or, you know, maybe you, there's a certain dog that you like and next thing you know, you start to see this particular type of dog everywhere, right? You just, it just, be, it just starts happening, right? Another true story, the other day I was at the gym and, you know, this is, you know, I'm in L.A. It's crazy here, man. It's crazy with the gyms and with the regulations, the mandates, just everywhere you go. But I, you know, I have a spot where, you know, it's just life is normal. All right. Life is normal. But very few people are there at once. You know, it's kind of this private facility. And I'm just coming there trying to lift some heavy stuff. That's all I really. So I'm not thinking about any other what might come from this particular place that I'm going to. So anyways. I'm there. I just, I'm, you know, I'm banging and clanking. All right. Just hit this uh, hammer press, you know, and um, I'm listening to this song. And I really, I really, I'm feeling this song right now. It's called Kill Him With Success. It's on the Creed 2 soundtrack. All right. And it's just like, again, it's a mentality of, you know, I don't, I don't want people to be harmed. I don't want people who don't believe with what I believe. I don't wish any ill will upon them. The best thing that you can do for people who don't believe in you or who might, you know, um, talk bad behind your back, whatever the case might be, the best thing you could do is be successful. Kill them with success. Kill them with kindness. You know, we, there's enough like going back and forth and trying to bring other people down. Just be successful. And hopefully you can be a light. And hopefully you can be a, a force for good and an inspiration for others that, again, despite their, their, their negativity or feeling towards you, whatever it might be, just kill them with success. All right. Kill them with love. Kill them with kindness. This does not mean that you don't have standards in what you're dealing with out there. But anyway, so I'm listening to this song. Right. Kill them with success. It's, um, you know, the schoolboy Q. And then this, uh, this verse from Two Chains was about to come on. All right. Now, my, I have a very, diverse catalog of music I listen to, as you know. Uh, Brett Eldridge, shout out to country superstar Brett Eldridge, who's a friend and listener of the Model Health Show. Uh, hopefully he's listening right now. But I have this very diverse spectrum of music I listen to. But at this moment, I'm listening to Chains verses about to start. And then Two Chains walked in the door at that exact moment. All right. I'm, I'm not exaggerating in the slightest. Like there's a little 
interim part where the chorus is going before the next person's verse comes on, it was as if a show was starting, right? So his, 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 his verse is about to start. He walked to the gym. I almost went over to him and gave him my headphones. Like, no, you don't understand. Listen, you're, you're right. This is you. But I just, I'm cool. You know, it's a private place. So I just like, wow, that's wild. The t- it's not just the fact of, and it's cool. Like, you know, with the, you know, a, a certain person coming into the room, whatever. But what it was for me, it was like, it, it was a, a wink from the universe. It was like this, this powerful reminder of how connected we all are because the timing of it was so remarkable. We're talking about a one in uh, probably 100 billion chance that something like that exact thing happens in that exact moment. But it was what I was attuned to, right? And that's how powerful we are. It's happening all the time, you know? So please keep that in mind that what you appreciate, appreciates. So start to really focus on the things that you love, that you enjoy, that you want more of. Get clarity on those things. Focus on those things and your brain will literally scan your environment and physically put your body in position in the environment of these things. It's a law. Now, sometimes we use that we're using that power unconsciously. And here's another important tenet. This is a fact. You right now, as you're hearing my voice and every part of this is miraculous. The fact that this, without substance, these waves are leaving my body, going into all these different devices and traveling through the air, through the, the ethers and being able to reach you and the electrical signals being communicated in your brain. Like th- this is just miraculous in and of itself. So I'm just using that as a preface to tell you that you are literally connected to the outermost portions of the universe. You are connected to everything in the universe. There are billions of galaxies and you are literally connected to all of them. This isn't some kind of hearsay. It is a law of reality. The truest thing about you is that you are connected to all of it. You cannot be separate from it, right? It is expansive. You are expansive. It's sort of like, again, being within a container. You are integrated with and touching everything. It's like a drop in the ocean. You are a drop in the ocean. And you are literally a part of the entire ocean. You are connected with all of it, even at the most minute, minute, minute atomic level, you are connected to it. This universal ocean, you are something special and you are powerful. And we're talking about science, not mysticism, but that can play a part as well. We don't know. You know, if you look at the Marvel Universe, Thor is like, you know, what you guys call science here, we call magic, right? So it's just different language. But truly, I want you to remember how powerful you are, that you are connected to all of it, and what you focus on expands. So use your clarity 
wisely. Use your clarity intentionally. Now, I'm spending a lot of time on this one because this sets the tone for everything. The more clear that you can get, the faster that it happens. All right, so again, these are five ways to create a new culture of health and success. Number one is to gain clarity. Gain clarity on what you want your life to look like, from your health to your finances to your relationships, and also what do you want your community to look like? What is the picture that you have for the world? All right, have the audacity to paint that picture as well. All right, clarity is power, but it starts with you. Focus on you first, the clarity that you want for your own life, your own health, your own success, and then let's expand that out from there. So this moves on to number two here on these five ways to create a new culture of health and success for ourselves as individuals and also for our world that needs it mightily right now. Number two, now let's get real specific here, is to set specific goals. The number one way to not achieve your goals is to not have any. I'll say that again. The number one way to not achieve your goals is to not have any goals. You're guaranteed 100% rate of success, all right, of not achieving. With clarity comes power, but now we've got to be granular. Now we've got to get down, let's get specific so that we can give our brains in this immense power of, again, we're talking about quantum physics. We're talking about string theory. We're talking about things being interconnected. We're talking about the phantom DNA experiment and human DNA affecting the, the very stuff, the biophotons that, that life is made of. All right? Now, of course, if you're like, what is that? These are all things we've talked about multiple times here on the Model Health Show. I want to make sure that we have time to go through these five important ways to create a new culture of health and success. So let's dig in here with setting specific goals. First things first, if you have big goals and you're not writing them down, and instead have them rattling around like loose change in your head or like a loose change in a piggy bank, you are making a very costly mistake. A study conducted by psychologist Gail Matthews looked at the rate of goal achievement for people who write down their goals versus those who don't. The study incorporated a diverse grouping of people in terms of age, ethnicity, and occupation. Participants were randomly assigned to either write their goals down or to just think about what they wanted to achieve, but not write it down. After the four-week study period, it was found that the mere act of writing goals down boosted goal achievement by 33%. This is remarkable. 33% higher rate of achievement of our goals just by writing them down. Why? First of all, the question should be, why on earth would that happen? It doesn't even sound real, but it is. Why is number one, it points back to number one on our list, which is clarity. It creates clarity. And also within that, it's a courageous act in and of itself to say, this is what I want. Because part of that clarity is declaring, clarity, declaring, this is what I want. And oftentimes, if we have messages, if we've been in a culture that tells us that we're not the type of person that can have such things, that we can have fill in the blank, that we can have this type of health, that we can have this type of success. If we are existing in culture that has pushed against us, what happens is when we say that this is the thing that we want, it's more fleeting or like we'll push it out of our minds and say, oh, I, you know, that's, 
it's not quote realistic, right? We'll excuse our way out of claiming what we really want. So you got to be able to catch that voice in our head that says that you can't, you can't have. If somebody's achieved it, then it is possible for you. All right. Now there are different degrees of what that can look like. All right. So for example, I'm thinking about Tim Grover, world-renowned performance expert, best-selling author. He was a personal trainer for Michael Jordan, for Kobe Bryant, for Dwayne Wade, and many other absolute superstars. He had aspirations of balling out till he falled out in the league himself. But what happened, you know, he had injuries, he had this and that, you know, the talent, whatever it might be. But what happened was he kept pursuing his focus on sports performance, his love of basketball, and just kept moving forward. And before you know it, it landed him in the NBA in a different way, in a different hue, a different variation, right? It's 50 shades of gray, a different shade of what that NBA life could look like. All right, so when I say if somebody's done it, it's possible for you, this doesn't mean that you're going to be necessarily out there you know, dunking on LeBron, all right? But there are variations. There are different colors of what that can look like, putting us right in the atmosphere of that which we focus on. So do not discount yourself. Don't start off right out of the gate discounting things, all right? Or putting your, your, your hopes and dreams on layaway, like my mom used to do our clothes, all right? We go to Kmart. We're like, I'm about to get these these Wranglers, boy, about to get these Wrangler jeans, you know, would be looking fly. Oh, nope. We're actually going to, we're going to put on layaway, baby. I'm going to come back and get it in two weeks. <sighs> the probability of that happening was very low. All right. So probably got our layaway out maybe 20% of the time. All right. One time we got the layaway out so much later, I had a growth spurt. So it didn't work out. I'll just leave it at that. All right. So. Why is writing the goal down so powerful? Number one, it requires clarity. Number two, it is a courageous act in and of itself to proclaim that this is what I want. This is who I want to be. This is what I want my life to look like. And I have agency over my life. And number three, this is really remarkable in and of itself. It's very subtle, but it's real. When you take the subtle act of writing the goal down versus having, having it rattling around in your head, when you write it down, you're actually taking an action. It's not just an idea in your head. You're taking an action in the physical world. So it's taking a step towards it, no matter how small it might seem. All right, so these are all part of this equation. of How do we get from a culture that we're existing right now, a culture of sickness, culture of poverty, we've got millions more people who are now unemployed because of the way that our society has handled what's happened recently, you know, with the virus that's on everybody's mind. And so we're looking at symptoms of a much bigger issue here, a lack of empowerment, a lack of sovereignty, a lack of health to begin with, which poor health is the number one susceptibility in this context, yet it's not getting addressed we can be the ones to address it and change it. So set specific goals, get clear. You can have an overarching goal and then you take that overarching goal. Maybe that goal is to lose five inches off your waist in the next 
two months, all right? Or maybe it's to lose 40 pounds in the next, you know, six months. Whatever the case might be, we take that and then we break it down into micro goals, all right? We, get, we take this macro goal and we break it down into micro goals. So that 40 pound weight loss in the next six months, what does that look like? With ease and grace. How do we achieve this with ease and grace? Not out here, blood, sweat, and tears, like destroying ourselves trying to achieve health and so much deprivation and restriction and pain. None of that is sustainable. All right. Those things do not resonate. This doesn't mean that we're not going to have effort. This doesn't mean that we're not going to have struggles and, and obstacles to overcome. But if we're just beating ourselves to a pulp, not, not sustainable. The two don't even match up energetically. All right. Suffering is not going to lead to health. Long-term suffering, let me be clear. So we need to be more in alignment with joy, with pleasure, with fun. You know, these energies tend to spark sustainable change, sustainable results. So what are some of those micro goals? Walk 30 minutes a day. That's one of my micro goals. Drink half my body weight in ounces of water each day. So, you know, right now, maybe, you know, I'm 180 pounds and, you know, 140 is a goal, but 180 pounds, we divide that number in half. That's 90, 90 ounces of water. That's my target for the day. All right, just a little barometer. It's not a perfect number. There's no perfect number of ounces of water for people to drink a day. It's all cookie cutter stuff. But this is a pretty good ballpark for us to be in. You know, so again, we've got these micro goals. Optimizing our sleep is another micro goal. Making sure that I'm getting my micronutrient needs met so they're not having all these cravings that make me struggle. And actually what we're talking about here, this goal setting process is one of the most important parts of my book, Eat Smarter. It's a national bestseller. It was a number one new release of all books in the United States when it came out. Very proud and honored to say. And well, we ran into a little issue, you know, it's COVID times, you know, printing delays, shipping delays, all these different things. So we ran out of copies, which is not, this sounds good on paper. Like, oh, you ran out of copies, oh, it's sold out. This is not like a concert venue where there's a maximum capacity. This is something where books should be available, all right? So it took off like a rocket and a big part of the reason why, again, you could see at the time the, the, the list of bestsellers in the country, it was like, you know, the Obamas had books and Matthew McConaughey. Then there's this one book in the top 20, one book on health, one book on food. And it just put so much more emphasis for me on this mission, because I know that regardless of what's going on in the world, people care about this. People care about health. People care about real sustainable change. And part of that, we could talk about all the fancy pants, incredible things about nutrition, but it doesn't matter if we're not able to put these things into work, into process, into culture, into habit for ourselves. And so we actually go in and talk about the neurology, the, the neuroscience around behavior change, about, around goal setting. I share very specific stories of folks as well who've taken on the protocols that I share in Eat Smarter, and it's just amazing. So if you don't yet have a copy, this is a good time to get yourself a copy. Or if you maybe you got the physical book, pick up the audio book. And if you're watching the video version, we'll put it up on screen for you. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was in the top 10 of all audiobooks here in the United States. It's nuts, man. Like coming from where I come from, you know my story. We just talked a little bit about that. Coming from where I come from to have that kind of impact, to have one of the top 10 books in the United States, 
coming from an environment where I'm inundated with drug abuse and violence and, and suffering. And just like I couldn't even articulate a, a way out of that. But I was very clear. Again, I knew that that was not going to be my life. I was picking up in my environment that I'm going to be a good man. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to move from this poverty and I'm going to have a life of abundance to where I remember even when I started this journey and I'd be at Whole Foods, I'm trying to get my health together. And, you know, I'm living in Ferguson, Missouri, and I'm a full time student and I'm at the register with my debit card like, oh, I'm a, I know I'm, no, I'm going to have to put some stuff back here. Let's see what we could do. You know, I'm just at the I'm playing this game of like roulette at the register, you know, to where today I regularly pay for other people's groceries. When I'm out at restaurants, I regularly pay for other people's meals that I don't know. They don't know me. They're not going to know me. These are just things that we do that I've put into my culture. The last time I did that, I was actually, I was sitting with my family and, um, and I accidentally got somebody else's bill. And then, you know, I actually paid it and the person came back, which I didn't know. I just thought it was our bill. And then the, the, the waiter came back. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. We, you know, we'll, we'll reverse that. And, you know, that wasn't your bill. And, and then I was just like, cool. Cause I was just kind of in conversation and, you know, talking with a friend, but my son, my oldest son, Jordan was with me. And when the waiter was like walking away, Jordan was like, no, no, just pay it. And I was like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, bring that back. You know, so I ended up, I was just like, I'll pay our bill and we paid their bill as well. It was like a big family who was over there at the table, you know, a little ways from us. And they happened to find out and they could not believe it. They came over, of course, it's just like, and I don't, this is not for that, you know, but just trying to find a way that they can give back to me. They don't even know me. What can they, like, I don't know, you know? Um, but it's just this, it's this feeling of I'm seen, I'm significant, and it creates giving sparks more giving, you know, it creates this amazing, you know, this concept of paying it forward. It's like, and there's so much, there, there's so much science on this as well of, you know, you sharing a smile with somebody, acknowledging somebody, you know, maybe it's that cashier. I was at the register and I'm nervous with, you know, maybe I'm acknowledging her you know, or him and just, you know, asking how their day is going and trying to offer a smile and, you know, maybe a word of, of encouragement or joy or whatever the case might be. The tendency is for the next person in line, even if they're having a bad day, there's no, no smile, no eye contact, whatever it is. Next thing you know, they're, they're being more friendly to the next person. And then that just continues to carry on. We have that power to spark change, be that first domino of goodness. So remember, Number one, clarity. Number two, set specific goals. Have the audacity to proclaim what you want. We can go from there. We can get into the micro goals. And again, all of this is outlined as well in Eat Smarter. If you don't have a copy, go to eatsmarterbook.com. Of course, you can pick it up anywhere books are sold. Of course, the Audible version as well. Barnes & Noble, Target, Amazon, all the usual places. All right, so now we're going to move on here. And these five ways to create a culture of health and success. Number three here, this is powerful. Number three is to create consistency. Most of our results in life do not come from the things that we decide to do once. Most of our results in life come from the things that we do consistently. Aristotle said, 
We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. All right. So these great minds, great thinkers that we still talk about today say that we are what we repeatedly do. And this is a true tenet of reality. It isn't just philosophy. The things that we repeatedly do are us. It is our life. It is our expression of life. It is the very way that we are wired. So we're talking about the wiring of our brains, for example. Our brains don't just come in some cookie cutter form. They are formed by our beliefs, by our thoughts. Thinking itself literally creates your brain. Make sure to check out the episode that we did with neuroscientist Dr. Caroline Leaf. It is one of the most poignant masterclasses on how our thoughts actually create our brain. So our mind creates our brain. Our mind is more expansive than, than just the physical brain itself. Our brain is re remarkable, but it's something that we can consciously change ourselves. And so those thoughts are changing the chemistry within our brain and within our bodies. Every thought that we think has correlating chemistry, but it's changing the connections that are taking place within our brain. What's said in neuroscience is that neurons that fire together, wire together, right? Neurons that fire together, wire together. So these things that we're doing, these thoughts that we're intentionally thinking, we're creating these connections. And the more that we're doing these things, creating these habits, not only is the connection there, but it's laying down more myelin over the connections, over this nerve pathway. It's sort of like insulation. It's sort of like, okay, so we're, we're, we're taking an action. We're creating a new habit, right? So my new habit, getting up and we're going for a 20-minute walk every day. First day, all good. We're walking, walking. Second day, yes, man, look at me go. Third day, oh, this is a breeze. Why did I do this sooner? goes on for a few days and suddenly, mm, I don't know, maybe I'll just, I'll, I don't really feel like going. I'll, I'll jump right back on it tomorrow. Next day, well, you know what? I definitely, I just got to get this thing done first. So I'll do it later. That day just goes by. The next thing, all of a sudden it becomes strong. Then you'd like, you jump back in it, you know, but then it's like a struggle period before it becomes automatic. All right. So those first couple of times, the the wires are getting created. If you think about an extension, an extension cord, for example, the wires that are within it, right? So we've got some copper wires, for example, right? So it's connected. You got this new thing, but the insulation over the cord, right? So, you know, like that orange extension cord, that, that orange insulation that goes over the cord or whatever the color might be, the more we do the habit, the more insulation takes place and it makes it so that the wires can't get cut as easily, right? That's what happens when, when habits are broken, in a sense. You know, that wiring can start to dissolve, start to fade to the background, or even just be cut altogether. You know, so that's what repetition is, right? Repetition is mastery, but it's never, it's never been practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. It's the things that we're doing repeatedly, whether it's the right thing or the not so right thing, it's going to lay down more myelin and create a deep-seated insulation and a automatic firing of a certain behavior. And so when we're taking an action and we've gotten clarity, we've got our specific goals, we've got our micro goals, now as we walk into that consistency and creating a new culture of health for ourselves and also our families as we expand out, 
what happens is we start off like myself. I'm coming into the world and I'm seeing the, the contrast, the things that I don't want, but I'm unconscious of anything else being possible. I have an unconscious incompetence. I don't know that there's, a such, there's such thing as real whole foods. You know, I just, what I'm eating, what I'm seeing in my environment, the fast food, processed food, is just food. So I have an unconscious incompetence because I'm not aware that I'm not aware. I don't even know. It's not even a part of my reality. So from there, once we start that habit change, now we have a conscious incompetence. I become aware that I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I become aware that I've been eating all of this. It's not even food. It's just chemicals and food dyes and, you know, food scientists using gas chromatographs and isolating flavors and all this stuff. And it's food-like substances. And now I am aware that this is happening, but I'm not necessarily aware of what to do about it. I don't know necessarily what to do, but I'm aware now that I was not aware. I'm aware of the incompetence that I have. From there, as we create the habit change, so we go from an unconscious incompetence to a conscious incompetence. And the next step is the conscious competence. This is where I am aware and I'm doing the thing. So I'm aware, I'm getting out, I'm going walking. I know the benefits of walking and I know this is what my body is craving for and what I've needed for optimal health, for mental health, all these great reasons why. So I, but I have to consciously think about it. I've got to, I've got to kind of make myself do it. I've got to consciously put effort into doing it. But eventually that evolves into an unconscious competence where you don't even got to think about it. It's just automatic. It's who you are, whether it's a behavioral thing like walking or a certain way of thinking, right? A certain perspective about life, a certain empowerment that you might carry, right? It just becomes automatic versus the alternative, right? So we go through those stages. Once we are committed and we're creating the consistency, again, Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. So putting that on automatic for ourselves eventually is just taking steps, creating that consistency. And, you know, I mentioned Eat Smarter earlier and having a book that does something like that, again, coming from where I, where I come from, it's not a matter, it's, it's in no form or fashion could something like that be an accident. It's going to require a deep level of commitment, of focus, of creativity, of research of communication, so many facets come together to make something like that. But I had a daily routine of writing, you know, for several months. I was kind of obsessed, you know, my body and my brain just got locked in and lined up to do that work. Every single day, I get up, I would drink my morning water, I would meditate, I would go for a quick, brisk walk, maybe, you know, 10 minute walk, and then I would get my Four Sigmatic coffee with some MCT oil and maybe another uh, high quality fat. And then I get to writing and researching. That was my morning routine. I did this every single day. And by the way, there was a study, this was published in the journal Psychopharmacology, and it uncovered that drinking one large coffee in a day, which was about 200 milligrams of caffeine, or four smaller cups of coffee in a day, which were each about 65 milligrams of caffeine each, had some remarkable benefits on mental performance. I wasn't doing it just because. 
The researchers found that both methods of coffee intake led to equal significant improvements in alertness and improved reaction times, as well as enhanced performance on cognitive vigilance tasks, activities involving multitasking, and tasks involving deep concentration. All right. The only coffee that I drink is organic. You do not want pesticides and rodenticides coming along with your hot, fresh cup of coffee. That is not good for your brain. It's organic, but it's also infused with proven, clinically proven medicinal mushrooms. Like the one that I typically have is Lion's Mane medicinal mushroom blend with organic coffee from Four Sigmatic. Lion's Mane, researchers at the University of Malaya found that Lion's Mane can actually spark neurogenesis in the brain, spark the creation of new brain cells. It's also protective against neurodegenerative diseases as well. So that was my morning ritual. And by the way, if you're not drinking Four Sigmatic, they have these incredible coffee blends, but also the elixirs as well. If you're not a fan of coffee and also hot cocoa, so mushroom hot cocos with chaga, we got reishi, cordyceps, so many incredible things. They're dual extracted. This isn't something to run out to company X and get. Get it done the right way. Really get these benefits. The dual extraction enables you to get the triterpenes, so more of the hormonal compounds, and also the beta-glucan, so more of the antioxidant compounds. You really just get these remarkable benefits. So go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. You're going to get 10% off the incredible mushroom coffee. Huge fan. The coffee ground, the ground coffee, out of this world. All right. And they also have the instant packs as well that I travel with. So pop over there, check them out. Again, this is literally my daily routine. This is what I was doing. And this is what I would, you know, basically an intermittent fast protocol. I would have that. And what these are, we also have these fasting mimicking nutrients that I actually talk about in the book. And also these are affirmed by some of the most prestigious uh, research institutes now with things like MCTs actually encouraging uh, the production of ketones, whether you're fasting or not, but also just kind of fortifying, being protective of muscle tissue when you're doing an intermittent fast, for example. So uh, researchers at Yale University published data purporting that MCTs can rapidly cross the blood-brain barrier and be utilized by brain cells. And also, a remarkable study published in the Annals of the New York Academy of Sciences found that MCTs could have a major impact on improving the condition of patients with Alzheimer's disease. This is largely considered type 3 diabetes. We have this glucose impairment happening with brain cells. And the scientists found that the consumption of MCTs directly led to improved cognitive function in mild to moderate forms of Alzheimer's disease and cognitive impairment. This is not being talked about enough. It's just largely considered a condition that there's nothing you can do anything about. MCTs, medium chain triglycerides, not only are they able themselves to cross the blood-brain barrier and to give energy to our brain cells, but also the production of ketones, which also have that ability to cross the blood-brain barrier and to provide fuel for our brain cells. The only MCT oil that I use is from Onnit. They've got the emulsified MCT oil and their original MCT oil as well. So I would have that along with my coffee. Go to onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model. The MCT oil is amazing. So blend that together. I have a little hand frother, which is a game changer. You can add in another high quality fat. So maybe it's ghee, maybe it's grass fed butter, whatever the case might be. Maybe a little bit of, you know, a couple of drops of uh, some chocolate stevia. 
in the mix, maybe some cinnamon. It gets real nice. All right, so this is what I would have. This fueled the writing of Eat Smarter. It's a national bestseller, and I'm very grateful to say. And actually, as of this recording, there is a translation coming in Italian. So everybody in Italy, make sure to get your copy of Eat Smarter coming your way very soon. So that was my daily habit, my daily ritual, my daily routines, and it's going to lead to certain outcomes, certain results in my life. For me, it resulted in the creation of a book that can be shared for many generations to come. And I even wrote it from the perspective of something that is timeless, like Sleep Smarter, like my first book, being something that can be accessible and valuable, whether it's now or whether it's 20 years from now. And hopefully we make some more positive changes as a society, as a culture within the next 20 years. But for you, what are some of the daily habits that you are going to create? All right, so we got clarity, specific goals. What are some of those daily habits, the rituals, the routines that you are going to create? Now, another word of advice, it's generally more successful when you have maybe one to two changes that are implemented at a time rather than a complete overhaul of your life. Now, there are different personality types that approach things differently that can just, you know, cold turkey, cut the cord, do change. And many people, depending on different circumstances, can do that. But generally, for most people, for sustainable results and success, choosing one to two, maybe three tops. I shouldn't even say that right now because some people are like, oh, I'll get three. One to two changes that can be implemented consistently. And again, you're changing your brain, developing that into an, an unconscious competence, and then that makes it easier to add in the next thing. When it's a lot of like discombobulation and stuff going on with your brain trying to change, because we think that it's a matter of will, but it's, we're talking about biology here and stacking conditions in our favor so that our brain and physiology automatically does the thing that we want. All right, so now we're going to move on to number four, on these five ways to create a new culture of health and success. Number four is to set up a positive perimeter. A culture is literally a container of beliefs, actions, and associated results. Part of maintaining that culture is creating a force field that blocks out things that would corrupt the beliefs, actions, and results you'd want to uphold. If you want to firmly establish empowering beliefs within your family, then you need to intentionally put up a boundary against things that would make you feel disempowered. So we're setting up a positive perimeter around our culture to make sure that these attributes, these results, these values are cultivated and deeply ingrained so that when we go out into other cultures, we carry those values with us. So we've got to set up a positive perimeter to not allow things that would degrade and break down that empowerment that we're seeking, to break down the intelligence that we're seeking, to break down the health that we're seeking, we set up a positive perimeter around those things. Today, one of the most pervasive things that's degrading people's sense of empowerment, people's sense of agency, people's sense of, of peace is the news. Now, even as I say this term, the news, it sounds too good. It's too good of a word for them. New. News. It's not really new. It's old. It's the old. It's the same old shit, plus the new weather and some new sports, you know, things that have happened. It's more stuff to be afraid of. 
It's more uh, separatism. It's more uh, highlighting all of the problems in the world, you know, and, and, and a massive lack on all the good that's happening in the world. It's a massive lack of focus on things that can truly be helpful and add value to people's lives to make them feel healthy and empowered and the like. The news is not intended to inform. The news is intended to manipulate and disturb. One of the most recent studies done looking at the, the trust of the news today, we've seen a decline in recent years, but now it's at an all-time low. And we're talking around like 20 to 30% of folks actually having any degree of trust in the news. Most folks just say they don't trust it. But the crazy part, the irony is people are watching it more than ever. They don't trust it, but they can't stop looking at it. You know why? Because it's entertainment. It's not news. It's not actually sharing valuable information. It's entertainment. It's a twisted version of SportsCenter where they just are highlighting a lot of crime and death. We can call it Murder Center all right, or Death Center. All right? Plus the weather. Plus you got a little dabble of some sports in there as well. A couple of smiles, maybe a little tiny segment of the good news, you know, to keep you coming back, alleviate the pain and suffering that we're sharing. You know, but it's not really news. We've got these personalities, even the terms that have made sports centers so popular, you know, when you're looking at the next election cycle, for example, just look at how they use certain terms that are identical to sports center, like the knockout punch is coming from Kentucky, or, you know, the candidate had to retreat back to their corner. You know, like they, they're using these terms, turning it more and more into sports and entertainment. And these personalities that they're putting front and center, they've bypassed logic to be like sources, like some kind of a, an oracle of sorts. And when in reality, these characters, I mean, every human being has flaws. There's no perfect, there's no such thing as a perfect person. I mean, some of these guys are like really messed up. All right, like not not that great of human beings on as far as their activities and the things that they've, you know, done and put forth into the world and what they're doing behind the scenes. And so there's massive lack of congruency as well. And so having that bypassing our logic, getting to the more primal parts of our brain, bypassing our executive function of the brain that is there to make decisions to distinguish between right and wrong or social control. Or forethought and mapping things out like, okay, this is, thing is happening, they're saying this, what does that really look like? Bypasses all that because of fear. Fear goes directly, we're hardwired to constantly be on the lookout for fear through our evolution. So we're talking about sparking the, the limbic brain, the amygdala, parts of the brain that are more involved in emotion and survival, right? As evolved as we might seem because we can drive a new car and we could, you know, watch Amazon Prime or whatever the case might be. We still we have very very primitive primal programming that has existed for hundreds of thousands of years and beyond. And so those same pathways are alive and well in, within us. And the media knows this. Most people don't realize that they've outsourced their thinking to their television. They don't realize that they've outsourced their logic to illogical sources. And they do this again by interacting with very primitive parts of the human brain. So very intelligent people can be manipulated by these things. And they largely are. You know, if you're not aware this is happening 
and to have that positive perimeter set up because not only does this lead to illogical behavior and reactions to what you see on the news, it's also very difficult to turn it off. Now, I'm not talking about turn off the TV. I'm talking about turning off the fear and the disempowerment that you carry with you within your own psyche. According to a study published in the International Journal of Behavioral Medicine, test subjects who instructed to watch just 15 minutes of the news ended up having increased levels of anxiety and total mood disturbance. And the most shocking part is, even after distracting the test subjects with another activity after watching the news, they were not able to return to their baseline levels of emotion they were at pre-watching the news. The news literally stuck with them and it changed their mental and emotional state. And please understand that all network news is doing this same thing. Some may appear to align with your values more than others, but they are in the business of manipulation, right? The largest funders, you know, the same financial institutions are funding all the major news networks. If you actually go and look at their numbers, Harvard actually did a report to see like, oh, who's providing the funding for major network news? It's the same people. It might seem like, okay, these guys are over here with this perspective, they're doing it with this perspective. They're making the same people money. And so they're having them, you guys are talking to a certain audience, keep it up. You're not going to have a narrative disrupting message come across any of these different news channels. It has to fit the narrative. All right. And also pharmaceutical companies are major investors, again, providing billions of dollars in funding to major news networks. What do you think they're going to do? They're gonna, are they going to tell you about the benefits of, you know, exercise and sleep like regularly? Things that have, again, thousands of peer-reviewed journals as to their efficacy, or are they going to promote a new drug, you know, during the commercial breaks? Or are they going to not tell you about the damage that's being done from, for example, the opioid epidemic? Johnson & Johnson was ordered to pay part of a $26 billion settlement for their contribution to the opioid epidemic that has killed almost a million people since 2000. A million people. Because Johnson & Johnson is the world's largest producer of this genetically modified, quote, super poppy narcotic used to make opioids. But I bet you didn't hear that on your local news station or your major network news station. And if you did, it was here today, gone today. Absolute murder, killing people intentionally, knowing how dangerous they are. This is, if this was, another, if this was a person behind this or even another business besides the pharmaceutical industry, People are going to jail, and they definitely wouldn't be in business anymore. But you already know, they're doing better than ever because we have a culture of sickness. We have a culture that allows people to profit from other people's sickness. We have a culture that allows people to kill other people with the business, with their products, and still stay in business. It's going to be unacceptable when we decide enough is enough and we change it. So we want to create a positive perimeter that helps to fortify and support strength, to support a, a culture of intelligence, that supports a culture of being empowered. You know, if we think about who has a positive perimeter around their culture, think about the Amish, for example. All right. The Amish are just like, I know, okay, you guys are you're doing your thing out here, but guess what? We are, we're milking these cows. All right. And we're, we're doing good. All right, our rates of chronic disease, mental health issues, all that stuff, notably lower 
than society outside of our positive perimeter, you guys can amish me with that shit, all right? Amish me with that, all right? We're doing our own thing, okay? So, or, you know, Wakanda, Wakanda has that force field, right? So you can go out to the world, you know, and expand and, you know, but you bring your culture with you. But when it's all said and done, you can't get up into Wakanda unless you got that permission slip, all right? So that's number four here. These five ways to create a new culture of health and success. And number five here, number five on our list. And this is the one that takes this from a personal culture and expands it outward. Number five is to be the model, be the example for other people. The greatest thing that you can do as far as influence is to simply be yourself, is to be an expression of what's possible, to be an expression of health, to be an expression of compassion, of love, of empowerment, of education, of intelligence, to be an expression of these things. Because as noted in the very beginning, we are connected. Factually, you cannot help but influence the world around you. It is what it is. You can decide to be a light in every room, every circumstance that you walk into. You bring it to it. You don't have to get something from the environment. You don't have to get support. You bring it to it. You don't have to get love and attention. You can provide that for other people, right? Of course, we all need our cup filled. But if you're creating that culture, you're already, you're overflowing. And so now you come out into the world and you bring that with you. You be the model. You be the example of what's possible and enable your children within that family culture as we venture out from our personal culture to our family culture, a big Leverage point for change is to enable our children to see and experience things firsthand. I know about having a culture where it might be difficult for our kids to, quote, get on board with a healthier lifestyle. And the fact that I even have to say healthier lifestyle is very strange to me. I, I use it for the sake of communication. What it really is is just normal, right? So a culture that incorporates movement and eating real food and rest. Like these are things that we just evolved doing, all right? So to put the label of healthy, that's, it's just normal stuff, all right? But because we've ventured into this place where we are, un, quote, unhealthy, we have to make this distinction. And so one of the most remarkable things that we can do as we expand this to our family is to allow our kids to see it firsthand because what tends to happen, even if we take this tenant on ourselves, we're gonna start working out, Mom might go to the gym. Mom's going off to this mystical place called the gym and the kids never see what she's doing. They just know mom's going out to the gym and to this mystical place called the gym. She comes back sweaty and happier, all right? Now, she could be going somewhere else, come back sweaty and happy, I don't know, all right? But this mystical place called the gym, whereas what if our kids had the opportunity to see dad doing a workout outside, you know, doing some body weight stuff or, you know, maybe he's got some bands or, you know, a couple of dumbbells and they get to see and experience that, right? What if they get to see mom, you know, doing yoga instead of like just her, she goes off to this yoga class. We don't even know. I get no association with it. So they can see it firsthand. All right. I'm not telling you this out of theory. My son, my oldest son, Jordan, is 21 years old. Right now, he's working in fitness. He's creating programs. He's coaching. He's personal training. I just took him up to Northern California and 
I was spent some time with Mark Bell, who's been a guest here on the Model Health Show. Went to his super training gym, world-renowned gym, and he's been asking me to come up there for quite some time. So we went up there, we trained together, all four of us. I wanted to bring my son intentionally to give him exposure. I knew it in my heart. I know, like, let me get him. My, my son, is a, he, he loves fitness. Let me get him around this guy. Let's see what happens. So we had a great time. We trained together. But also, afterwards, we recorded a podcast. And Encima and Mark Bell, you know, the, the hosts of their podcast, Epic Podcast as well, they asked if Jordan can join us. You know, it's four microphones. So we all did the podcast together. All right. So my son got to step up to that microphone and he was able to articulate, share some stories and the like. And, you know, it was incredible, absolutely incredible uh, episode. Now, here's what happened. I haven't even shared this with Mark yet. It's been two weeks now since I saw Mark. My son has since started his own podcast. He's recorded multiple episodes, you know, him and a friend. Because of that experience, I put them in the environment. I didn't do anything. My son knows who I am. He knows I'm about that life, you know, and being in this field. But it was the outside influence that made it, it pushed a button that just me telling him about it wasn't going to push. He got to see something. He got to experience something. And now I'm just a man. I, woo, this is what's possible. All right. This is in theory. All right. Creating a culture, being the model, providing exposure. And there's many ways to go about this. There is nothing in this world that can prevent us from providing positive exposure and from creating a culture of health and success and putting up that positive perimeter. Money, anything, if we ever use money as an excuse to do or not do something that our heart is set on, we're not activating who we really are, our true potential, our creativity, because it's not ever a matter of resources. It's a matter of resourcefulness. I'm telling you this, again, I'm that guy, I'm at the Whole Foods not knowing if my car is gonna go through, all right? I, I, my mattress was on the floor in my apartment in Ferguson, all right? It's always a matter of resourcefulness. Where there's a will, there's 10,000 ways. We are so capable of creating this culture, this cultural container of health and success and giving our children, our family these exposures, giving ourselves these exposures, so again, be the light, be the model, consciously create your own personal culture moving forward into this new year, all right? And within that, do the same thing, creating that cultural container for our family, for our communities, for our society at large. We can change this thing. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. If you got a lot of value out of this, please share it out with your friends and family. You can tag me, I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm at the Model Health Show on Facebook. And of course, you can send this directly from your podcast app right to somebody that you love. We got some epic stuff coming your way very soon. This year is going to be powerful. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.